You're very welcome back to On The Record. Kieran Cudahy with you until one o'clock. Now, up and down the island of Ireland, there are hundreds of handball alleys left in the urban and the rural landscapes as well. Once places where big crowds gathered, they stand in a lot of places abandoned and I suppose in some ways memorials to an Irish communal past. Uh, Donald Fallon of uh, the Come Here To Me blog is here for another Hidden Histories. Donald, how are you? Good to be here, good to be here. Uh, handball alleys, like when I mention all around the country, people, some people might be scratching their heads and thinking, really, are they everywhere? They really are. Yeah, they, They're just so ubiquitous, you don't even notice They probably them. think it's just a gable end of some house down in the <laughs> yeah, village, but yeah. these, these things are everywhere. And it's quite amazing that a game that is recognised as part of the, the GAA family has kind of faded almost entirely from public mindset and from popular popular play here. But a couple of years ago, the, the photographer Kenneth O'Halloran, he did this amazing project where he went around Ireland and he photographed these things. And I suppose it was a reminder that sometimes things are so everywhere. You know, if something is all around you, you don't see it anymore. It, it just fades. It becomes kind of invisible uh, into the urban landscape. So it's estimated by him that there are close to a thousand of these handball alleys wow. left around the island of Ireland in varying degrees of decay. So that is a, a, a massive feature of the urban and as you rightly said rural landscape of Ireland and I mean I'm always quick as all League of Ireland fans are quick to point out the egalitarian nature of the beautiful game because when you think about soccer if you want to play soccer as a kid all you need are four jumpers and a ball you know yeah. and away you go it's, it's, it's a game for everyone it's the game of the working class but handball has similar kind of democratic claims to fame because if you want to play handball all you need is a wall and a ball you know and away you go and and the game does exactly what it says on the tin I mean it's played against a wall and a handball alley an alley measuring well, meant to measure 60 foot by 30 foot used with a front wall of 30 feet off which the ball must be struck so it, it's it's a beautifully simplistic game If it's so simple really you're just chucking a ball off a wall <laughs> Can we really claim it as Irish? Claim, has, has, we, did no one before us ever throw a ball off a wall? I remember a couple of months ago we, we were talking on this lot about uh, baseball and the Irish claim the baseball. And, you know, it, it's a curious history in the sense that uh, much like that rounders baseball debate, uh, you know, there's a, there's a lot of controversy over the Irish pedigree of handball. And can a game that's so fundamentally simple really have any national origin throwing a wall off a ball? You know, I think what separates the handball played in, in Ireland, what separates it from the handball played in the USA itself is kind of controversial. And there's references to games akin to handball as we know it back in BC times. I mean, you're going back to the days of the Aztecs. In an Irish context, the earliest record of a game of handball is from 1527. The town rules in Galway, quote, forbid the playing of ball games against the walls of the town. So this is something that has, like rounders, you know, it's such a simplistic sport that we find it going back through centuries of human history. And uh, spread when you go back as well through all social classes yeah. when it was popular in I mean, Ireland. It's, it's, it's golden age in terms of popularity in the 18th century. I mean, it was considerably uh, popular among the social classes of, of wealth and indeed just among the masses. I mean, you have, the folklore has it, that, that well-known Dublin character, aristocrat, drinker, politician, man about town, rake, troublemaker, Thomas Buck Whaley, uh, after whom Buck Whaley's nightclub is named. I think, <laughs> I think he would be quite happy there's a nightclub named after him today in Dublin. Thomas Buck Whaley, folklore has it, uh, once went to, the, the, went to Jerusalem just to play handball against the Wailing Wall, which was a typically ludicrous thing for someone of his mindset to do. I mean, he thrived on upsetting people and, and landing himself in trouble. On the other hand of the spectrum, uh, the famous 1798 rebel priest's father, Murphy, you know, that, great, yes. that great song and that great ballad, Bull of Oak, uh, he met such a heroic and tragic end. He was considered one of the finest players of handball in the whole country and he actually held United Irish meetings in secret in handball alleys to avoid the authorities' glare. So it seems everyone from rebel Catholic priests to you know party animals in town like Buck Whaley were getting involved in this in the 18th uh, century. And like you see in other sports, it's the association or 
Ireland, the organisation that codifies the rules, exactly, claims ownership, exactly. and the GEA get in there. The GEA grab it and they make a land grab for sport. You know, rounders and handball are not particularly Gaelic games, but they're sports. And I think as far as the GEA is concerned, if you're making a land grab, if we are the sporting body, the sporting institution will take it. So they include handball within the, the GAA's charter in 1884. And, you know, the, the, the GAA took everything, providing that it wasn't going to over-contaminate it by Anglophiles. So, you know, soccer, rugby, cricket, couldn't be dealing with them. But the likes of rounders and handball, they take them in. So you have a sport here that's, you know, damn fun. It might lack a kind of uniquely Irish history. You know, the pedigree of hurling is, is, is indisputable. Hurling is a game that's wrapped up in Irish folklore, in Irish mythology, in Irish identity. Handball doesn't have that. But Michael Cusack, the GAA founder, is a man who just loves sport in the broadest sense. He'd come through rugby, cricket, athletics, rowing, you name it. So I think Cusack just made a grab for handball. Yeah, and he, he ran it like a fiefdom, the GAA, to, to the point that he rejected <laughs> all suitors. There's a brilliant, a brilliant moment in history where he gets a letter from a guy called John Dunbar, who was a very influential uh, athletics administrator. And Dunbar quite nicely writes to Cusack, it Who's says. buried in Glasnevin Cemetery, actually, I yes. think, Dunbar. Yes. Yeah, and Dunbar I, kind of says, can we work together? You know, this is a nice letter. You know, what's the potential of merging various sporting bodies with the GAA? And and Cusack's response is magnificent. It might be the finest letter in Irish history. He writes back, "Dear sir, I received your letter this morning and burnt it. Yours faithfully, Michael Cusack." (laughs) (laughs) So there was no question of how Cusack felt about potential collaboration. And then in handball, the pivotal figure is a guy called John Lawler, who's a brilliant player in both Ireland and America, but he's also a committed nationalist, so he ticks the box, really, as far as the GAA is concerned. And in terms of its place in the community, it did have this kind of twee nature about it, did it? I think what it was was that it was something you could watch, you know, and it was it was not threatening. And you get, like, these handball alleys where people just gather around the courts and could be there all day just watching and conversing. They just become these kind of meeting points in towns. And we have to remember that after Irish independence, there's a curtailment of kind of various forms of entertainment in Irish life. So disgracefully, there's the Dance Hall Act. And I mean, the Dance Hall Act was basically introduced to stop those famous kind of Irish traditions of dancing at the crossroads. You know, men and women would gather at the crossroads and they'd all have a dance and a sing song. And of course, the Catholic Church didn't like that because it was a social environment that couldn't be controlled. So the Dance Hall Act shuts down dancing at the crossroads. And in a country that didn't even have a television service until into the 1960s, you know, where you have a vast rural-urban divide and where the pub is basically the the centre of the community, this was something much more twee. Yeah, exactly that. So communities kind of gather around these handball alleys and Paul Rouse puts it so, Paul Rouse, the historian and occasional Gaelic manager, he puts it so vividly and beautifully. He says, they thrive the sites of popular recreation, places where people could gather and play or watch or just sit. The image of the ball alley with dozens of bikes scattered around its perimeter, waiting to reclaim by their owners, is one of the great iconic images of mid-20th century Ireland. It's like something from The Quiet Man. Uh, and you go down to your Googles or your Facebooks today and they've got all these like parlour games and ping pong and all this yeah. stuff for people to play. If they were around in the 17th, 18th, 19th, century they'd have been building handball alleys yeah, and some of them give you pizza and alcohol on Fridays allegedly I mean they're, they're good places to work these big tech companies down in the, 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 the silicon docks but I mean the in the early 20th century there was a real emphasis not on pizza and bottles of Heineken on a Friday <laughs> but on kind of you know on, on physical exercise and what you see happening is these handball alleys are put into factories into bus depots uh, into Garda stations into, into fire stations and one of the, the, the reasons this happened was the early Garda commissioner Owen O'Duffy was a great supporter uh, of Gaelic games very broadly and handball in particular and we think about O'Duffy the danger of reading history backwards you know Owen O'Duffy is remembered for the 1930s the Spanish 
Irish Civil War, that, that kind of disgraceful episode in his life. But before that, I mean, he was a, a champion. Of the, he was president of the Irish Amateur Handball Association, the National Athletic and Cycling Association, the Irish Olympic Council. You know, he's an amazing athlete, an amazing proponent of, of, of athleticism. So in his time as Garda Commissioner, he, he very much, I think he nearly forced the guards to play handball whether they wanted to or not. And that culture remained in there. And there are still Garda stations with handball alleys. Probably the most the, the most successful handball player uh, in the history of Dublin was Paddy Perry who was a guard and who took the Irish senior softball title every year between 1930 and 37 so it was a game that was encouraged uh, in the workplace and that's part of its part of its rise so it had this great heyday in the 19th century and then even in the early years of this state you know there was kind of a flourishing of it I know back home the late great Duxie Walsh is a name that everyone knows mm. well these great handballers but it didn't kind of persist everywhere like what happened? Yeah I mean and it was massive it was so big that you had games like in 1924 the Irish professional champion JJ Kelly of Dublin plays the world champion JJ Heaney of New York and this is widely reported in the press at the time I mean this is a sport that is considered up there with all of them so what happens? You know, what takes the wind out of the sails of, of a game that's played in virtually every town and village in Ireland? And I think, sadly, you know, it is all a tweed story. It's the changing world. But in the 1960s, the game was pretty much written about exclusively in the past tense. And I think it was just a changing society. Television was brought into Irish homes. That decimated things. I mean, that devastated the, the cinema industry in Ireland as well. It also led to the dominance of foreign sports. You know, that's a, yeah. b- a big thing. That now children aren't playing handball on the streets of Dublin anymore. They want to be these great English footballers that are finally being beamed into their houses. In America, where they played an almost identical game to us, one story in there, uh, she pinpoints the rise of basketball. You know, she says that by the 1980s, basketball, another urban sport with a low bar for entry, rose to dominance in parks and schoolyards. But it certainly didn't make it to the 80s in Ireland as a popular sport. Uh, and So what of it today? Because I know down in, again, at home, my local handball club, Talbot's Inch Handball Club, has actually got up and going recently. Yeah. Jimmy Nary, great GA man in the county, was approached uh, by a few parents in the club and said, here, would you take a few young lads for handball training? And now they're competing, you know, for All-Ireland titles at lower grades and working their way up. And it's great to see. They're, they're training in the club now a few nights a week, a big bunch of young lads, which hadn't happened when I was growing up. Yeah, and I think hurlers around the country will be quite worried at the idea of handball coming back because they'll have to give up the handball alleys which they're using yeah, as practice for spaces. around it. Absolutely, yeah, exactly. absolutely. It is kind of slowly re-emerging. Uh, and numerous GA clubs are very actively involved in promoting the game. And then the Fianna over on Moby Road in Dublin, one of the best-run GA clubs in Dublin, uh, they run a thing called Experience Gaelic Games, you know, where they bring people in and they give them a taste of all the GAA sports, including handball, and they're trying to bring it back to some place of prominence. So it is still played competitively, uh, and, and the numbers are slowly but surely rising. But it seems a pity, you know, to let these handball alleys, like a thousand of these things, deteriorate. And maybe we should be thinking about the possibilities of what those walls offer. I mean, if every village and town in the country has one of these things, what do we do with it? How can we decorate them? How do we use them to become part of the community again? And I hope you know, more and more that we think about the built landscape of Ireland. It's not just buildings. You know, there's other things that makes the built landscape of this country and handball alleys is one of those things. All right, well said. Donald Fallon uh, of Come Here To Me blog for another Hidden Histories. Donald, just before you go, I know we were chatting off air, you wanted to mention John Reynolds. Yeah, I think, you know, so often on this slot we talk about um, youth culture and we've talked about music festivals and music genres and clubs and all of that. And I just think, you know, for many people listening, you know, John Reynolds was an important part of that story. You know, things like Electric Picnic and Pod and all of that. So much of our memories of growing up were, were, were shaped by him and what he did. So I think it's a very sad loss. And um, my condolences to all his friends and family. All right, Joe. And, and, and we would absolutely second that. Donald, thank you again.